You're listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. To learn more about Chestnut Ridge Church, visit us online at theridge.church. This time of year, so much of the world focuses on Jesus. But who was and is Jesus? And what difference can He make in our lives? Follow along with our Christmas series titled, He Will Be Called, where we will be focusing on some of the titles, names, and descriptions given to Jesus in the Old and New Testaments. Listen to hear how Jesus is more amazing than we realize and how He can make the difference in our lives. Uh, A lot of you know that I enjoy exploring. And on my first trip down to Honduras in Central America, I, uh, I ran into a Honduran businessman who had what I would call an eco-tourism business. Basically, he would uh, take people mostly from the United States, gringos they're called, uh, but, but he, would, he would treat them to an ex- a jungle experience. And so we were with this guy. I was with a group of maybe eight or ten of us, I don't know, and, and he was showing me his uh, huts that he had built. And I don't know if that's even the right word, whether they're cabins or huts, but he'd build them up in the trees. And people could rent those out, and then they could spend the night with the screeching monkeys and the growling jaguars and, and other critters, you know. It was screened in so the bugs couldn't get in. And I just, that just looked like a lot of fun to me. But that was kind of his business. And then he'd also take people into the jungle itself where they could spend a few nights or whatever and, and just experience what it's like to be in the jungle. Well, while we were standing there talking about all of this, uh, our little group was right at the edge of a little cliff that dropped straight down about 20 feet. And at the bottom was a river. It was a jungle river. It was about 20 feet wide. And then on the other side of it was another one of these ledges or a, um, a cliff on both sides. And so we were standing there talking and kind of looking at all of this when all of a sudden the businessman said, who wants to go swimming? Well, no one else jumped up for this, but I was going to do it. I took off my shoes and socks and my shirt, anything I didn't want to get wet. I said, I'm, I'm going swimming. I mean, how often do you get a chance to swim in a jungle river? It just sounds so exotic. So I jumped into the water, and then almost immediately I realized I had a little bit of a problem. Um, how am I getting out? Uh, the walls on both sides were straight up and down, and they were muddy. Were, I couldn't climb out, and the water was indeed deep. I couldn't even stand, so I'm floating there, and I realize there's nothing even to hold on to, and there I am in this water. And so I finally said, hey, um, how, do, how do I get out of here? And he pointed to my left. He said, well, you go down there a ways, and there'll be a place for you to, to get out. And so I thought, well, I better kind of head that direction. Well, almost immediately when I started to do so, I realized that there was something in the water with me. And I looked over, and it was a huge iguana. It was about a foot or two away from me. I don't know if you've ever seen an iguana in the face, but to me, they look like what I imagine demons look like. <laughs> they just, they're just kind of evil-looking critters. They just look kind of demonic to me. So it's looking at me, and I'm thinking, I don't know what to do here. I'm not typically afraid of iguanas. I've seen them. I had seen them going around, and, and I've even had the iguana stew before. It tastes like chicken. <laughs> 
But uh, to have it in the water with me, and I realized it's a good swimmer, better than whatever I can do. And if it decided it didn't like me, I'd be kind of in trouble here. So I began to slowly swim away from it, and thankfully it didn't follow. And then I made my way down to the place where I could get out, and I was getting ready to get out. And there was like a little path that went back up to where everyone else was. And I saw in the middle of the path a scorpion looking right at me. And about this time, I was getting a little bit freaked out by the critters. Like I've had enough of the little jungle experience. I got a stick and finally flicked the thing away or whatever and made myself up, uh, up with the rest of the crowd. I don't know what it is about me that it, it gravitates toward these kinds of things. I just kind of like adventure and excitement. My twin brother's the same way, only worse. I mean, we both do scuba diving and things like that, but he likes, to, he likes to jump out of airplanes and bungee jump and some of those things. We just, I don't know. I used to think it was just because being a pastor is so boring, I got to do something a little bit life-threatening to give it some kind of meaning or something, I don't know. But anyway, I've always gravitated toward things like this. Now, it was on this particular trip that that businessman said something that really piqued my interest. He said, you see the jungle there? Of course, the jungle was right at the edge there by the river. He said, that jungle, there are places in that jungle right there where no human has ever been. And I thought that's just fascinating. Like, I would love to be the one to explore it. I know, I, I know that I probably have a romantic view of the whole situation. Like, I'd get there, and after about 100 mosquito bites, I'd say, this was dumb, or, or a big spider crawling on me or something. I've seen two big ones down in Honduras. A, a tarantula was one, just a wild tarantula with fangs. And the other one was this massive, thin spider, but it was the biggest thing I'd ever seen before, and it's like they, I, spiders freak me out, you know. So I know that this idea that I would be the one to go into this jungle and I, I would love it for a little bit, but then I'd be afraid and want to come back out. But there's something about this idea of being like a pioneer. And as I was thinking about all of this this past week, and uh, the, the question came to my mind, what would it have been like to be a pioneer in our country? What if you're one of the ones that came and were moving out west with the pioneers? My grandmother on my mother's side was someone like that. Her family moved here uh, to the United States in the 1800s when she was five years old. And they lived in a, a sod house that was built up against a hill. And they lived out in the prairie area beyond the Midwest. And I, I think they would have been considered, you know, this part of this prairie group that went out there, a pioneer group that went out west or whatever. And I just think, what would that have been like? And I know it would be inconvenient and, and be, there'd be issues with it. But at the same time, I would find the thing kind of exciting. Now this morning we're continuing our series called He Will Be Called and we're looking at some of the titles that were given to Jesus in the pages of the Bible that are kind of unique like the first week of this series we talked about the fact that Jesus is called the Word. You know, John, one of his closest friends, wrote in his gospel in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. It's just an odd way to refer to Jesus but words communicate and I think the main point is Jesus is... God's greatest communication with all of humanity concerning what he's like. I mean, God has communicated with humanity in a lot of different ways, through creation, 
through people themselves. We were created in the image of God. For example, God speaks to us through his word, but the greatest communication is Jesus. If you want to know what God's like, Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The second week of the series, I talked about how Jesus is our redeemer, or more specifically, our kinsman redeemer. A redeemer is someone who pays off your debt so you can be set free or released from the debt. And in biblical times, if you had to sell your land or whatever, a relative, a kinsman could come along and, and pay the debt you owed, and then you'd get the, the land back into the family, which is the way it was supposed to work. But Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He came to set us free from the past, present, and future effects of sin. He released us with the debt he paid on the cross. Today I want to talk about the fact that Jesus is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He's called a pioneer in the Bible. Now, some of you are wondering, I don't remember reading that. Well, you have to have a certain versions, certain versions of the Bible that actually translate one of the Greek words there as pioneer, that Jesus was a, a pioneer. And so my takeaway is Jesus is the pioneer of the faith. And in Hebrews 12.2, in the CSV version of the Bible, we read, we are to be keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And he's called a pioneer in the sense that he, he paved the way for us to get to God. He also paved the way or demonstrated the way that it, what it means to live by faith. He modeled it for us. And he went the distance. He became an example. But we find out, and as we're going to find out today, he's also the one who perfects our faith. So he paved the way. He opened the way for us. He became a model for us. But he's also the one that helps us live out our faith. Now, what exactly is a pioneer? Where well, the Collins Dictionary defines it this way. Someone who is referred to as a pioneer in a particular area of activity is one of the first people to be involved in it and develop it. So it's one of the first who develops something. It could be a field of study. It could be a, a, a jungle. You know, it could be a, an uncharted country or whatever else. But it's someone, what's interesting about the definition is it's someone who paves the way, but the implication is others are following. There are going to be other people behind you. And so pioneers just don't just go for the sake of, of going. They're going to open up the way for other people to follow. Wiktionary defines it this way. A pioneer is one who goes before us as into the wilderness, preparing the way for others to follow. And Jesus is the pioneer of our faith. Now we're going to spend most of our time this morning just in three verses from Hebrews chapter 12, the verses 1 through 3. But let me first set the context for the verses we're going to be reading. We don't know who wrote or who penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit the book of Hebrews. Uh, I personally think it was Barnabas, but it was someone who had apostolic authority and it was someone that I believe spoke the words of God as God revealed it to that person. We don't know who it is, but the author of the book of Hebrews wrote his entire book to make a case for the fact that Jesus is supreme over everything and everyone and he's a worthy object of your complete trust and faith. And so throughout the book, the author establishes who this Jesus really was and is and why he can make such a difference in our lives. It has to do with who he really was and is. And so the first chapter of Hebrews, for example, Jesus is presented as our creator. Jesus was and is our creator. He was back there in Genesis 1.1. And then the writer goes on to say, but Jesus is greater than the angels. I mean, angels are impressive, but Jesus is 
much more impressive. Jesus is greater than Moses or Aaron, the ones who led Israel out of slavery. Of course, Jesus does that infinitely better. He leads us out of slavery from sin, a spiritual release. He's our high priest. He's the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world, and it just goes on and on. Jesus is the one who made it possible for us to enter into the very presence of a holy God as in going through what was called the curtain of the Holy of Holies. In biblical times, only the high priest could go into this one place once a year, but Jesus tore the curtain with his own body. Bible says, and then we can walk right into the presence of our God. And so he did all this for us. And therefore, because all these things are true about Jesus, the writer of Hebrews warns people and basically says, if you don't hold on to Jesus and put your trust in him, there's no one else. You are on your own because there's salvation in no one else. He's it. He established who this was. He's worthy of our trust. And you better not turn away from him. You see, what was happening, apparently, is that the readers of the book of Hebrews, most of them were Jewish, and, and they were examining the claims of Christ. Some of them were maybe considering leaving Christianity. They had maybe put their faith in Christ, but they were thinking of going back to Judaism. Others were just raising the question, why Jesus? But he makes the point, you, you, better, not, you, you better not set him aside. He's, he's the key. Now, Hebrews 11, when you get there, you find a list of a bunch of people of faith and part of the reason I think people in Hebrews were questioning Jesus and everything is that they were being persecuted and it was tough and these people these heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11 it's a they're they're amazing people who went the distance they they were ones who faced various things they suffered various things many of them didn't get what God even said he was going to give them yet like Abraham, God told Abraham, you can have all this land. Abraham didn't inherit any of it in a sense. His descendants did. But they went the distance. They trusted God through whatever they faced. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, you should do the same. Follow the example. Stay steadfast in your faith in Christ. Go the distance. Follow their example. And then after that, he says in the next chapter, what we're going to read today, beginning in verse 1 of Hebrews 12. We read, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source, or the Greek word can be translated pioneer and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has come down at the right hand of God's throne. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary or lose heart. Now the imagery here is clearly that of a competition. And the text implies that it's a race. The Greek word that's used for grace, race here could be a word that just means an athletic competition of any kind. But the context clearly is that this is a, a foot race that's taking place, and you and I are runners if we know Christ. So we're running in this race. It's taking place in this stadium, which is an out, this outdoor arena. And he describes this cloud of witnesses. 
He says, because of this cloud of witnesses run a certain way. Now, the word that's used for cloud in this passage is a reference to a huge, massive cloud that fills the whole sky. It's not a little, little puffy cloud. And so the author is saying, we have this massive cloud of witnesses that's encompassing us as we run this race in the stadium. Now, a lot of people at this point in Hebrews 12 get it wrong from my perspective and that of real scholars that the image here is not that these, these witnesses are spectators. See, when you read this, you get this idea that there's a stadium and it's filled with people who are spectating while you run. And because all these people are watching, you run and go the distance. But that's not what's happening here. These are not, these are not spectators from heaven. Now, this might bother some people because I think some have the theology or the idea that our loved ones watch us from heaven after they die. God can allow that. You know, God could allow that, but we, biblically we don't, we don't see that that's something that's taught in Scripture. So you say, well, then who are these people? They're called witnesses. Understand that they are not witnesses to the race. They are witnesses of the race. These are ones who have gone before testifying to the fact it pays to go the distance, that God was faithful throughout my whole life. And so these witnesses, this cloud of witnesses, is actually witnessing to us as we run the race, saying, listen, we did it. We went the distance. So can you. And, and we're encouraged in that. Lenski, a scholar, puts it this way, these saints are not witnesses that see our faith and testify about us. They are witnesses whose life, works, sufferings, death, attest their own, to their own faith. And they testify to us through the pages of the Holy Writ or the Bible and in other history that they were true men and I'd add women of faith indeed. They're testifying to us about this. And so these are people that by their lives are become a, a witness for us. And who are they specifically? Well, they're the ones in the previous chapter. They're, they're people like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob, Joseph, Rahab, Gideon, all these other people. You learn their stories, you watch their life of faith and you learn something from it because they're shouting out to you about what it looks like, what the, the life of faith. In a sense, they're like pioneers as well. But they remain steadfast in their faith until death. Now let me read verse 1 again and then keep talking about it a little bit. We read, Therefore, since we have su also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, that's again people of the past who have gone before us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. He mentions two things. One is you take, you strip off anything that's holding you back from winning the race. Now, I think most of us can relate to this, that there are, there are things in our lives that could be holding us back, things that are do damage to the soul even, you know? They're habits we have, they're sins that we have, there's certain things that, that you know, they just uh, have a bad 
effect. You know, Peter said certain things wage war against the soul. There are certain things you watch or listen to or whatever, and those things are not healthy for your soul. And he's saying you strip off those things. And these runners were wearing hardly anything. A scholar puts it this way, the runner runs practically naked, every weight is discarded, especially robes that cling to the limbs when one is running. Can you imagine wearing this long robe and you're trying to win this race and your legs are being hindered by every step that you take? He said, get rid of all these things. And we need to be willing to do this. Those of you that have been involved with uh, athletics or sports in high school or college understand the importance of disciplining yourself in order to win. You know, I only was involved with two sports. Uh, one of them was gymnastics. One of them was wrestling. I was horrible at both. But I did learn through the sports that it mattered what I ate. Uh, it, it mattered that I sleep well. You know, it, 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 my extracurricular life of any kind impacted my ability to do well here. It impacted how much effort I put into my strength training, everything else. And so you do all this so that you might win when you're on the mat or if it's a race, when you get to the finish line or whatever. And that's what he's talking about. You examine the things. As Christians, we examine the things in our lives that are kind of holding us back, hindering us, tripping us up, maybe even disqualifying us from the race. The Apostle Paul talked about all this in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. He said, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize, so run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body. I bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Are there things in your life that are hindering you? He says, remove those things. But the second thing he mentions in the verse we just read earlier was this idea of endurance. We need endurance. The, the Greek word there means to persevere in the midst of trials and difficulties. Because you don't need perseverance much or endurance much when it's easy, but when it's hard. And he's saying, you run with endurance the race. You persevere in this race. Don't throw in the towel. Don't, I know it's hard, but don't give up. And so two of the keys to winning the race as Christians are these two. Remove the things that are tripping you up and have a mindset to run with endurance even though it's hard you go the distance but the key to the passage is what he says next involving Jesus we read in Hebrews 12 2 and 3 we're to be keeping our eyes on Jesus the source or pioneer and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus really for two reasons. One is the example is given here. Have you ever considered what Jesus went through? Whatever you're suffering, have you ever considered what he went through? And so he's an example for us, but also 
I think the bigger issue is that he's the one that is the perfecter of our faith. We need to keep our eyes on him, stay fixed on Jesus if we want to go the distance. We, another way to put it is we look at Jesus, but we also look to Jesus. In this race, the Christian life was never meant to be run by yourself or in your own strength. Didn't Jesus say, apart from me, you can do nothing as well, or nothing at all, apart from me? Now, when we get to Hebrews chapter 12, you, we have the example of Jesus, and some people might be tempted to think, well, you've got Hebrews 11, which has all these wonderful examples. And then the author gets to Jesus, and he's the, the best example. I want us to understand that Jesus, in, in Hebrews 12, is not just an example. Uh, he, he is the originator. He is the pioneer. He's the founder. He's the source. He's the inspiration. He's everything. He's not just an example for us. That's why we put our trust in him. He's not just an example on the list of all the ones in Hebrews 11. He's a, of a different kind entirely. That's why he's so worthy of all your trust. Now, I like the different ways the, the Bible translates that phrase pioneer and perfecter. Of course, the CSV, I read it earlier, it says Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. This is what I hope you walk away with, that Jesus is the one who opened the way, the trailblazer for me to follow, and he's the one that's going to make it possible for me to finish well. The New Living Translation, though, puts it this way, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. I like that. He's called the champion. He's the one that initiated it all. And he perfects our faith. New American Standard puts it, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I like the word author. And other versions use that word as well because he wrote the book on faith. Jesus did. And, um, and this brings us back actually full circle to this idea of pioneer because Z. C. Hodges writes, the word author in this verse suggests that Jesus pioneered the path of faith for Christians to follow. He also perfected the way of faith since he reached its end successfully. And then finally, God's word translation puts it this way. We, we must focus on Jesus, the source and goal of our faith. I like that one too. All those are appropriate translations. But the question is, what, are you, what is the goal at the end? What is the finish line? What's waiting for you when you get to the finish line? You know what it is? The goal is Jesus. He's the one that's waiting for us. And I would hope that your, your goal in, in your Christian life is to hear from Jesus those words, well done. Good and faithful servant. That's, that's what we're looking forward to. Getting across that finish line, having gone the distance, and then looking into the face of our Savior who died and rose again for us and hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Now it's important that we do focus on Jesus because if you focus on other things, you'll go in other places. You know, if you're focusing on wealth, you're going to go one way. If you're going to focus on your sins, you're going to go a certain way. We're told to fix our eyes on Jesus, focus on Jesus. Why does that matter? It, I think it's a key. I've talked before about the fact that when I took driver's ed, it was particularly scary. When I was growing up, and I don't know if they still do this in school, but they have a driver's ed teacher, and, 
And, and we had uh, the first part of the course was uh, in the classroom, and then they took you out on the road. And, and the, the first driver, first actual student driver, just scared me. Uh, she was driving, and she got over on the left, the wrong side of the road, across the double lines. And she was over there, and the, the, the driver said, teacher said, turn, and turn the car, get back over. And she'd forgotten about the pedal. And so she just driving, we're just drifting over, and we're all sitting in the car like, this is it, you know? And, and so he, he finally reached over, he grabbed the wheel. And he said, come on, and put a little gas down there, okay, fine. And they finally made it back over to the other side, and I thought, she's horrible. And all of us, of course, had an opportunity to drive those side streets and some of the bigger streets, but it was time for the highway, and I took great pride in the fact that I was chosen first to do the highway. The teacher knows I'm a good driver. And I'm driving, I don't know how long, but suddenly a semi enters, I think it was coming on, on an on-ramp or whatever, but I, I saw it out of the corner of my eye. I looked over at it, and when I did, my arm went like this. I mean, I didn't get close to hitting it, but the, the guy kind of screamed a little bit. You know what he said? Don't look at the thing you want to hit. Look ahead. Focus on the goal. Let's look ahead. That's what we're required to do because whatever you're focusing on is going to impact the direction you're headed. That's why I say if you focus on all the sin in your life, all your failures, all, all this or that, you'll never get out of that pit. First Peter or Second Peter 1, it talks about that. We need to live in the reality of our forgiveness because that moves us in the right direction. But focusing on your failures puts you in this, you're looking in the wrong direction and it'll only cause more sin in your life. And I'll tell you why. It's because you're going to look at it and say, I've sinned so much anyway, what does it hurt to sin again? But when you know that that blackboard has been wiped completely clean by Christ, it causes you to do differently. I'm just saying, fix your eyes on Jesus now, I think, again, the key to the Christian life is Jesus. He pioneered the way for us. He demonstrated what it means to live a life of faith. We look at his example, the way he suffered. We look at how he responded to his enemies. We looked at how he loved people. He loved uh, children. We look how just steadfast he was. He was a person of, of prayer. He was someone who suffered greatly. And, and even someone who, when he asked his own father to remove the cross... And the father said, no. He said, well, I want your will, not mine. He modeled it all for us and is wonderful. And so we should be looking to the example of Jesus. He pioneered the way. He showed how you do it. He went the entire distance for us. He's also the called again, the perfecter of our faith. And I would say everything revolves around Jesus in terms of the Christian life. And so the key for us is staying connected to Christ. If you're a believer... Get to know Jesus. This is part of the reason we talk a lot about getting in the Bible, getting in the Word. Maybe as the new year starts, purpose in your heart, I'm going to start get really getting to know the God of the Bible by reading it and getting to know Jesus. That's where our eyes need to be. Martin Luther said this, Christ starts our faith and leads it to its consummation. He's the, the starter of it. You believe and Christ comes to live in you, but he's also the one. He's the very source, the cause, the example, the goal, and he empowers us. And it's important to realize that and keep our eyes on Jesus or else I think we'll get discouraged. 
R.C. Lenski explains why. Why would you get discouraged by looking at the example of Jesus? Well, he says this, we need vastly more than a perfect example, which by its very perfection may well cause us to cry in despair. We cannot hope, even hope, to approach such an example. From start to finish, we need the divine Christ as the one who can fill us with faith, keep us in the faith, and finally crown us or crown our faith. And so by way of application, get to know the Christ of the Word. Get to know Him because then there's the hope of attaining as opposed to just being discouraged by a perfect example we can't live up to. We need Jesus to do it. If you're a Christian here also, I want to suggest to you though that you examine or as an application, examine your life and ask what are the things that are tripping me up? Are there things out there? that are tripping me up. What are they? And, and deal with those. Again, New Year's a good time to say, listen, I, I, I do these things. I realize these have a negative effect on my spiritual life. I will not continue in that. By the grace of God, with His help. Now, some of you here today maybe don't even know where you stand with God. And for you, I just say, I encourage you to turn to Jesus as your Savior. God sent His own Son into this world specifically to die for what you and I did wrong to take the penalty for us. He rose from the dead, proving God accepted the payment. But you have to say yes to Jesus. God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. Whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. As many as receive Jesus, to those who believe in His name, God gives that privilege. But if you want to know more about that, I'd encourage you to talk to someone in next steps. Let's close. Father, I'm just so thankful for the example you've given us of your own Son. And... And how he was willing to take on flesh and blood and just model for us how we are to live. But I'm so grateful that he didn't just model it, but through the Spirit of Jesus Christ to empower us, that the very power that raised Christ from the dead is at work within us, and we are grateful for that. And so we thank you for that. And I pray you ask us, or I ask you, Lord, that you'd help us uh, really put into practice the things we've talked about today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.